Hello, I'm your host, Jennifer Adams, and welcome to the Signature Leadership Podcast by Knowledge Hook, a podcast where we explore the topics most relevant to senior education leaders around the world. In today's episode, we are joined by Joanne McKechn, who's been leading education reform in New Zealand and in the United States for the past couple of decades. What you may not know about Jojo is that she's Maori on her mother's side of the family. Jojo describes how her Maori ancestry has influenced her as an educator. She also describes to us the Maori way of learning. Hello, Jojo, and welcome to the Knowledge Hook Podcast. Kia ora. Kia ora, Jen. Wonderful to be here. It is so good to have you here again. Um, I have the privilege of working with you on an ongoing basis, and uh, we're going to have a discussion about the Maori way of learning and your connection to that today. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. I'll just first of all then start off by introducing myself in Te Reo Maori. So, ko e oraki te maunga, ko te ara aparima te wai, ko ha- ra- ra- rakau hautau ko paikia na tangata, ko urarau ko takitima na waka, ko waitaha, ko natimamoi, ko naitahu, ko pakiha, ko meriwehekori taku ko matua, ko Bruce McKegan, ko Beverly na matua, ko Joanne McKegan taku ngawa, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. And what I was just doing then, Jen, was introducing myself in Te Reo Māori, which is really important for us as Māori to do that. What that does is it grounds us in who we are, but it also gives us the information we need when we're meeting other Māori people to know where we come from. So what I did was I didn't, I put my name last, and what I did was I put my mountain first, because they're actually our ancestors. So we talk about our mountain as where we come from. So I talk about Mount Cook or Mount or Aoraki as my mountain, and then I talk about my river, where, where I come from. So that's my blood. So they we refer to them as our ancestors. So the earth really does belong to us as, as a people. And then I talked about where did, where did my real ancestors come from when they first came to Aotearoa, New Zealand, and what canoe did I come in? So where did my ancestors come from? So that, that gives people, when I'm talking to them, an idea of where I'm from, and then what tribes am I from? So I'm from three different tribes, Waitaha, Naimumoi, and Naitahu, and we're all from the South Island. So that just helps people place me, place know who I am, where I've come from. So that gives us that real intergenerational lens from all over the island. Then I identify which of my Māori ancestors that I'm a descendant from, so they can understand who I am and where I come from. Then I say my parents' names and then me. Jojo, that's one of the things I really appreciated when I met you uh, a few years ago. And, uh, you know, your Maori heritage comes out uh, very early on in the relationship and it stays with you all the way through. So really appreciated that and, and learning more about uh, you and your people. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. Uh, you were in the U.S. for a decade. Uh, you had a, a, a consulting company there called The Learner First. And a couple of years ago, you moved back to New Zealand. Why did you decide to move back? It was a really, it was a hard decision because I really did enjoy living in the United States and, and had, a, you know, I have a thriving business there and I still do. Um, but what happened was, is that my mother was very unwell. And I think as a Maori woman, we don't like leaving our parents in retirement homes. And she was at the stage where I knew that her life was coming to an end. And for me, it was like, I really wanted to spend the last months of her life with her. So we made the decision to move back to Aotearoa, New Zealand, and that was that was what we call having a call, having a karanga, to actually come home. So I had the sense that it was a, it was partly duty, but also just that sense of I wanted to learn about her as an adult for the last time I had the, those moments with her. So we came home, we bought a house where she came to live with us, 
and we had sort of about a year of life with her. So that was a really important thing for me to do, to really understand where did she come from and find out her roots and make sure I captured as much of that as I could before she passed on. And the other reason was obviously COVID. That made a big difference for the whole world, and that was the secondary reason why I came home. A really important time for you, Jojo, to be with your mum, and uh, it's your mum that has the Maori heritage, so you were able to reconnect uh, with her and with that heritage. Do you feel you're closer to your Maori heritage now that you're back in New Zealand? Oh, 100%. Um, I think since I've been back, I've done a lot of research, and um, a couple of weekends ago, I had the privilege of going down to the bottom of the South Island, down to Riverton, where my mum actually spent most of her childhood days at the beach, and I visited my local marae and um, met with some of my other ancestors' relatives. So it was sort of like, uh, and then the most exciting thing for me, Jim, was I walked into the local museum there and I saw my great-great-grandmother up on the wall. I saw all of the history of my family was recorded there. Um, I saw my the first whalers that came out from England that married intermarried into my Māori um, family, and all their history was recorded there. So it's really interesting to find your family's life recorded in the walls of a museum. And so that was just, it was very, it was honouring, but it was also just so grounding. I felt like both of my feet were just anchored right into the roots of the land. And I couldn't, I could hardly lift them back out again. And it was like, that's where I belong. And it was a really amazing feeling. What an amazing opportunity to go home and to go home in, you know, multiple senses, right? Mm, mm. It truly is an amazing feeling to know where you, where you are from and who you are. And to give you that real sense of, of, of belonging. And I think, you know, a lot of us, we, we search so much in our lives to figure out who we are. And I think that once we stand on our own land, it gives us a sense of that just automatically. And it, and it just feeds us. It feeds our souls. Let's talk a little bit about education in New Zealand. And, you know, being from Canada and, and certainly countries around the world, New Zealand has been recognized for many aspects of their education system as being really world leaders. And I think, you know, early in my career, we learned a lot from New Zealand from your literacy programs and your early literacy programs. One of the things that in the the recent past I've gotten to know a lot more about is the role that Indigenous education, Maori education plays in New Zealand. And, you know, the, the education system is probably one of the most integrated with respect to education uh, with and for Indigenous people. When did that transformation take place in New Zealand and why did that happen? Um, firstly, I need to qualify the fact that I can't speak for all Māori people because we're all, we're all very different and each, each tribe has their own different relationship with the Crown to create a, a different outcome for their people. So I just want to make that really clear and I can probably, I'll talk from my own experience, I think is the best way to do that. So I think when we first signed the Treaty of Waitangi in the 1840s, that, that really set the scene that we have a relationship with the Crown and that there is an automatic right then that that gives us the right to have our own education and the, and the right to an education in the way that we choose to have it. And what happened is, is that that wasn't being delivered for us. And so we as a, as a people decided that, that, was, that we wanted to have that. So it started pretty much from a grassroots, grassroots where um, parents said we need, we need to have what we want for our children. And so there, there became a movement where it started from sort of, uh, early childhood, Kohangareo, and then started basically in, in garages in people's homes. And then it started from that point. And then now we're at the stage where we have our own um, kura, our own um, high schools, our own, you know, up into universities where we train our own students. So we've gone from having, you know, sort of zero support all the way through to where the system allows for each individual community to create their own schooling opportunities or, or 
choosing what they would like to have for themselves. And I think to go to the root of why that is, is that, that you know, our education system here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, was set up on the English system. And actually that doesn't suit any Māori person at all because it, it was not set up on our beliefs. So therefore the way of learning doesn't suit our way of learning. So what's happened is, is that once we allow our children to learn who they are, how they fit into the world and how they can contribute in their way, then we've seen a massive shift in how we can all relate to each other, how we can all feel good about who we are and how we can learn. So it's the understanding that culture does play a massive part in education and relevance and knowing that you're allowed to be who you are through your heritage, through your entitlement, through your connection to the land, through your identity, through your language. And once once that was recognised here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, then a massive shift took place. So I think that's been slowly happening and it's we've still got a long way to go. But I think, you know, it's the understanding that we are different and that's okay. And we can learn in different ways and that we each have that opportunity and parents have that right to choose. And I think that's the big thing that we're, we're, we're understanding here and that we're not well until we can learn in the way we want to learn. Jojo, it's a really interesting policy stance, right? And I don't think we see that in, in, in many countries around the world because essentially what you've described is the right of each Maori community to be able to create their own education system and to, you know, create it based on the needs of their children and their desires and wishes for their children and very much culturally based. Let's take it back a step. What are some of the key features of the Indigenous ways of learning within those Maori systems? It's the, the fact that it's based on, on traditional knowledge, that it's that, that I think if you, if, you take a, if you look at it from outside and looking at it from a Western point of view, you would look at it and you'd say the key differences you would see that you would understand from looking at it from the Western point of view would be that you'd see a huge parental engagement. Um, I think that would be one of the first differences that you would notice. The second thing you would notice is that there's um, a much more of a, um, there's no age limit or age bound limit. So learning occurs from birth to death. So you'd see people coming in and out of the school um, at all different ages and that that learning is respected so that, that everybody there is a learner and everybody there is a teacher. So there's, everybody has information that they can exchange. Um, you'd also see that learning doesn't happen in isolation in subject areas. You'd see that learning is a wholeness and that there's a lot of doing and a lot of awareness of what is interrelated together. And you'd see that, you know, the focus isn't on the academic straight away. The focus is definitely there on academic. It's 100% clear that academic is important, but it's the person that comes first. And it's, we, we have a saying like, you stick to your kaupapa, you stick to what the real work is first, which is raising human beings and the children coming out with knowing who they are. Um, and that their identity is really clearly articulated and they know what they need to do to commit to being a part of their tribe, being a part of society, being a part of the world in a really positive way. And they're looking after Papatuanuku, which is our earth, Mother Earth, because that's our ancestor. So those are sort of the things that you would see from uh, looking into, into it. Inside the actual kura or the school itself, there's a lot of Indigenous knowledge that's being shared and taught that had been lost. So that's a lot of that's being revived. And, and, and a really good example of that here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is, is that this is the very first year we've celebrated the Māori New Year, Matariki, as a public holiday. And that was just recently this month. And that's the, the celebration for the first time. Where, so therefore, we're sharing some of our, our knowledge 
about how we've used to we used to live in the in the past more publicly more openly so that so that people understand that um, being Maori is not what it what people had seen in the past. So when Pakeha came, white people came to Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, you know, there's that that sense of you know there was the you know Maori didn't get a good reputation um, when they had been taught through the the regular education system because they weren't successful because it wasn't their way. So Maori had a bad reputation. So what we're trying to do is to say, if you look at some of the ways that we've lived in the past, where we did live by, you know, learning how to grow food, be abundant in our ways of living, being sharing and caring for each other and learning to live by different ways, then we can share and show each other a different way of living that actually is really beautiful, that actually can contain some really some joyful ways of being and look after our earth and each other at the same time, which actually gives clues to the rest of the world about how we can survive and live in a world that's actually much better for each other. So we can take from each other's culture some really good learning. It's fascinating, Jojo, and um, you know, I'm thinking from the from on the on the ministry side. What does the ministry provide to the Maori communities for their education? Is there um, a, a curriculum that is uh, co-created uh, that is used throughout the Maori system, or does each Maori community create their own curriculum and 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 standards? I'm assuming that the ministry provides funding for the schools and for teachers. Give us a little sense of what the ministry provides or co-creates with the Maori communities. Well, that's a very big, long story. Um, I think, you know, in the, begin- in the beginning, you know, it, as I said, you know, when I say it started in garages and people's homes, um, obviously there wasn't the funding there. And it's taken a very long time for this to develop over time because, you know, it took time for people to understand that cultural knowledge is as valuable as academic knowledge and is as valuable as some of the other knowledge that we've had. That's really starting to come into the fore now. So that's taken, you know, 30, 40 years for that really big shift to happen. There's still not an equitable split in funding, I would have to say, with absolute doubt. But what we're seeing now is that that kura or schools are funded, um, that they are respected, that they are, um, there is a goal for our government at the moment that by 2030, that 30% of all of our schools or all of our children will have access to be able to speak Māori, um, which means that our, that our whole school system has to shift to be able to do that. Um, we have policies in place that are, that are allowing for the build of new schools that, that are specifically f- to be taught and um, by Māori, for Māori, with Māori. We have a curriculum that is designed by Māori, for Māori, and that is not a direct translation of the English curriculum. So I think that's one of the things that I think is really different is that, you know, we do not just translate. So when a new program comes into, into, into being, it's not a translate. We don't, just don't go in and translate. We actually, what we're starting to do is to make sure that it's, it's seen from a, a viewpoint from Māori. So an example is I have a, I have my own trust, um, Kekotahiako, and, um, we're importing solar panel suitcases, solar power suitcases. So instead of going and saying, okay, here, we've got a program that we're just going to deliver to you in English, what we've done is we've said to uh, one of our local kura, would you like to have a look at this program and then see what it would look like if it was delivered from a Māori perspective? So they're taking at the story of the creation of the sun and how that was done from Māori legend, and they're looking at how to rewrite how we would use that in a, in a, in a Māori school setting. Um, from the Maori world viewpoint, so teaching it in context in that way. So, so before we'd even give it to any other kura, it would be looked at from what does it look like from a Maori world view. So we do things like that now. So instead of just making an assumption that it just would be okay to translate, it's actually well, what would it look like from a Maori world view? And having those honest, hard conversations. 
I guess the other thing that's really interesting and really important to note is that we've just developed a histories curriculum that allows all of the histories to be told. And that's just come out now. And, and I've had nothing to do with it, so I can't claim any of it, but I'm just so proud of it and so impressed with it that, you know, we, our country's got the courage to do that. And all of the histories are being able to be told. So all of the stories of all of the people who have come to Aotearoa New Zealand have an opportunity to share their story. And I think that's when we start to really understand who we are and where we come from is because we're allowed to learn about it. You know, and we look back and we, we know that our people, my people, the Waitaha people, we were, we were techno- we used technology, you know, in the 14, 1400s because we navigated across to Aotearoa New Zealand. We knew how to read the stars. We knew how to do all of those things. So we're allowed to share that with our other people. And that shows, that shows that we actually had knowledge. So it sort of, it gives us a sense of pride and a sense of, accomplishment that our ancestors knew what they were doing you know so it's it's exciting times it is really exciting jojo and you know it really pushes to the idea i think when i hear you and i i've heard others talk about what's happening in in eratera new zealand the education systems it really resonates this whole concept of equity and making sure that we value all of the peoples that are within the country, right? What does equity look like in the Aotearoa New Zealand education system? Equity would look like um, that we listen to what the people of the land say first, because then it actually shifts the balance, because for a long time that that voice hasn't been heard. And so it's it's like... Um, if, you, if we understand what the land is saying to us first, then we have much more of an understanding of what we can do with it. And it's, it sounds really strange to say, but it's, it's sort of like giving a voice back to people. And when you do that, it shifts how we talk to each other. So I'm just trying to think of a good example of that. Um, you know, often what we do is we say, here's a policy, and then, then we go out and we say, let's get some feedback on it. Whereas if we shift it back to let's go and talk about what's the issue first or what are the things we're trying to deal with first and talk to people about it first and get, get have a discussion around what are those issues first and looking at it from those perspectives before we even start thinking about a policy. So it's, it's actually going to the community first. And so that's what some of the things that are starting to happen here now are actually doing, which I think is the most exciting part. When a community gets to have a say before a policy is even designed and that's when we're getting equity. And when people have self-determination, where they can decide their future, so when each community does have a say about how their school is designed, when each community does have a say about what their actual curriculum is going to look like because it reflects what they need in their, in their community, when they can take what those important things are and make decisions for them, for themselves. So we have a word called rangateratanga, which means self-determination, means I can make a decision about what I need for my family, for my whānau first, and then that fits into the rest of the country's needs as well. So it's not being selfish. It's actually saying we need to have a say too, because for too long we haven't. I think it's really interesting, that idea of kind of the order of operations. You you know, typically we would create a policy and then we would go out and consult on that policy. And really when we're doing that, let's face it, it ends up being tinkering of the policy, not a recreation of the, of the policy. Um, this idea of going out for consultation on a particular topic, on a particular issue, and then really listening to the people first and then creating a policy, you're going to have a policy that is very, very different than a policy that has been created through that other pathway. 
That's right, because you know, often policies created the other pathway are done by people sitting in an in an office and may have no experience of the actual land or the people or what's going to happen when that policy actually comes to life. And I think it takes longer. It's definitely harder. It's more challenging. And it takes a lot more voices. And but I think that's the only way we actually really get that shift. And um, you know, that's how we start to get equity. That's how we start to understand each other. But I think, you know, like often there's a fear of doing that because you think, what's going to happen? But actually what happens is, is that we start to see that people stand taller. They have more confidence in themselves. They're not frightened of each other because there's a clarity about what they're asking for and a clarity about what can be done. And then, you know, like when, you know, when, when we start to make agreements like that, people feel empowered about their own life and kids feel empowered about their own life. It's like we talk a lot about student agency. And often what I see when I work with school systems is there's student agency all the way to the point where they disagree with you. And that's the same with equity and, you know, in a system with race equity. It's okay. It's all the way until they disagree with you. And so I think what we're talking about here is that we, we, we do that disagreement first at the first instance before we even get to the point where we get through the policy. So have that conversation early, um, have the right to have the conversation early so that by the time you get to that point where you don't, so you're not having to need that discussion at the end point. And I think that's where the battle has always been fought at the end, whereas actually the, the battle and discussion has to be discussed at the beginning. That's where the shift is. You're going to get a very different uh, policy coming out of that process. And the other thing that you're going to get is you're going to get an actual commitment to implementation of the policy, right? Because like you said, all of those tough conversations have happened at the beginning of the process and and people will feel like they've created something together and they're willing to work to have it implemented. That's right. And it's a, and then it becomes a joint ownership, which was what the purpose of the treaty that, that uh, Māori and, and white people signed um, in the initial instance was that we would do this together. And I think that, you know, when, when one has more power than the other, you can't do that. So I think that's where we're moving to. And if we can get it right, then we'll be out there celebrating to the whole world. And we have got it right in some places. So, you know, there's hope and joy for this because, you know, when we do see it working, it's just magic. You know, it's fabulous. Are you seeing an impact on Maori children, on their families, on their communities? You describe this as happening, you know, relatively recently over the last 30 or 40 years and getting to the point over those few decades to really where there is a co-creation of the education system for, for each of the communities. Are you seeing an impact? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's in particular with our youth. Um you know, some people come in and they say they're surprised at how well the kids can do. I mean, I get angry at that because, of course, our kids can do that. Um, they just had, didn't have the chance before. So what's happened is is that there's been this explosion of young, we call them our rangatahi, our young Māori youth, who are just absolutely doing amazing things in the world. They are getting jobs at government level. They are they are able to articulate. They're, they're dual language speakers. They have... They have the cultural knowledge. They have understanding that I wish I had had. I'm embarrassed that I don't speak Māori as well as I could. I'm embarrassed that I don't have the cultural knowledge that I should have been given and grown up with. I had a fantastic education, but I missed 25% of it because I was not allowed to know I was Māori when I was a kid because it was not okay. So you take that time to where I am now, and I'm going back and having to relearn who I am 
because of my culture was stolen from me. So it's sort of like, now I feel full. But what we see is our kids who've got that, they've got their culture, they've got their academic, they've got their sports, they've got all of, they've got their wholeness right from the word go. So they're growing up and I'm watching them. They stand so tall. You know, if you could see what I'm doing now with my hands, they're just like right open wide. And it's like, they've got courage, they've got authenticity, they've got, they use their intuition, they use their bravery, they know how to take action. They've got courage to be who they are and stand tall. Whereas before, you know, they, they, were, they weren't allowed to use all of, their, all of their being to be who they were because part of it was chopped off. So when you can be your whole beautiful self, then you can thrive. When half of you is chopped off and you're not allowed to show it, you can't. It's as simple as that. So I think what we're seeing now is our youth, our, our rangatahi, are leading the way. The, the future of Aotearoa New Zealand is in great hands. And it's sort of, you know, by having that magic coming through, it, it gives me great hope for our, not only for our culture, but for our whole country, because it's just, it's beautiful to watch. Are you seeing a transfer the other way? Are you seeing in the education system or schooling for non-Maori children, are you seeing an integration into of some of those Maori ways of learning? Are you seeing that shift into the other education system? Absolutely. Um, we had a reasonably famous researcher here, Russell, um, Russell Bishop, who did some research many years ago, and he said what worked for Māori worked for Pākehā, for white people, because the basis of what we do is relationships. We create good relationships with our kids. We, we figure out who they are and what they need, and we teach them that. And so that worked for any kid, really. And so what we, what we understood was that unless the kids had a really good relationship with the teacher, they, were, they wouldn't learn. And so that, that information spread really quickly across. And, of course, every, every teacher said, well, that worked for every kid. So what we saw is a shift in how we were teaching. We opened up that sort of stiff upper lip theory, went out the window, and re- great relationships started to be taught with all of our kids. And that really started to shift a whole lot of what we were doing as well. So I think what we see is that, you know, all of our kids want to learn how to speak a bit of te reo Māori. You know, our newsreaders, they speak te reo Māori when they're, when they're introducing the news, when they're moving from different segments. It's become almost natural for everybody to use te reo Māori in their everyday conversation. Um, what's happening is, is that we're teaching Pākehā white people um, how to be really good allies and how to be good um, treaty partners. What does it mean to be a good treaty partner? How do we do this together? So that you have treaty partners have a right to be in Aotearoa New Zealand because there's a treaty signed to say you can be here. So what does it look like to be here? What does it look like to be Māori? What does it look like to be a treaty partner? because you have just as much right to be on this land. So it's sort of like figuring out how does that look and what does that look like? And it's really an exciting time for all of us to figure that out together. And and watching that happen in the schools has been really, really an amazing time. And especially with the new curriculum that's coming through, it's those the discussions are happening. And it's, it's a positive time for people to learn together about what does it look like? And we're creating our own future as we, as we live and breathe right now. It must be fun for you coming back after being gone for a decade. You must see some incredible progress in some of those areas. What do you think are the next steps for, you know, valuing, respecting, embedding Maori ways of learning, both in their own education as well as in the education system for non-Maori children? I think that there needs to be um, more funding, I think, going towards Māori to create more places of learning for Māori because we still haven't got enough yet for all of those, the students who want to learn in that particular way. They, we don't have enough spaces yet, so there needs to be more space for that. There also, I think, um, 
you know, one of the things my dream would be is that we, we our whole system shifts towards actually being led with the Maori lens. If we did that, I would, that would be my absolute ultimate dream. Um, if we if we could do that, I don't know whether we'd ever be able to do that, but that would that I think would be just the most amazing. If our country would do that, I'd I'd be in absolute heaven, because I think you know from what I've seen from all over the world, that would make the most incredible difference to our country, um, with the principles of how we lead and teach in Maori. I think that would be a fantastic way to go. Um, I think also just continuing to learn and grow together, into being open to it, into being open to each other's ways of being, and to allow the the real the beauty to come through of what Māori have to offer to keep coming through and to not stifle it. I think if we keep honouring each other's traditions and knowing who we are and not not having the fights about power, because there is no need to worry about that, because if we work together, we create a, a place for us all. And we're, we're a small enough country to be able to do that. Jojo, just before we wrap things up, you know, there will be people that will listen to this podcast from from all over the world, and and we're all fortunate to have Indigenous populations uh, within our countries. What advice would you have for school principals or for district, school district leaders or ministry officials, based on your experience being Maori yourself, your lived experience, as well as the role that you've played in, in helping New Zealand develop their education system, what advice would you have for those leaders to create the conditions to be able to move forward in that positive way? I think the first thing is to connect with your local leaders. That's the first thing, is to actually start having a relationship with the local leaders. And often people say, but we've got so many and we don't know who to talk to and we don't know, you know, they don't, they don't agree with each other either. And I think that's, that's okay. Start having those conversations with whoever steps up first and then the others will step in too. And I think that's, you know, like, you know, when we first started, there was, we've got, you know, we started off with everyone saying, well, there's 48, 48 iwi. Well, there's way more than that. But, you know, that's what started it. And then so we just started to, started to have those conversations. So I think, and then what emerges, just see what emerges from that. But just take that first step. Have those discussions. And don't invite them to you. You go to them. I think that's the biggest mistake we all make is we think that, that we, they need to come to us and talk to us, but actually we need to go to them and talk to them because actually they're tired. And, you know, go and sit and talk. Just figure out what's the first thing that needs to happen and then take an action. Take an action together, but have those discussions and just start. I think people are frightened to start, but get out of your offices, go and see what's going on out in, there in the world and have those discussions and allow yourself to hear them. I think that concept of just going out and and starting, I, I think there's a the hesitancy that we're afraid we're going to say or do the wrong thing, but the worst thing is to do nothing and to allow it to continue the way that it has been. So having the courage to go out and talk to elders, talk to community members, and really trying to, um, like you said, listen, open our hearts, open our minds to uh, ways that we can better serve and, and make sure that our Indigenous students are flourishing like they should be and want to be, and uh, that we can learn from them on how to do things better with all of us students in our care. Mm, yeah, because I think one of the things is, is that we often look at our Indigenous populations and think that they don't have much to offer because of what, and it's basically because of what the systems have done to them. They have not allowed them to flourish in their own identity. The minute you allow people to flourish in their own identity, the world changes to this most beautiful place. And I think what happens is, is that, you know, I heard, you know, I grew up with Māori, they only drink and smoke. 
Now, the minute that you grow up with that, and that's that was talked about my own people. Now, I've had to deal with that reputation for a long time. Now, what I've seen is a shift because we've now allowed the beauty of the culture to come through to show who are we as a people and what have we got to offer in the history and the, the, le- the legends, the, the stories about uh, uh, where we've come from and who we are and what we can do and what we can teach each other. Now, if you allow every Indigenous race to show that and, and share that with the world, what a difference it would be rather than making judgments about what they're doing right now because of what people have done over year after year after year and that intergenerational harm that's gone on because of people coming into their country, because of what has happened to them, because of colonisation, because of all of the racist things that have gone on. So let's lift that away and just say, who are you? And how can we together become better? I think in general, education systems are, are looking at topics like well-being. They're looking at topics like student agency and all of those concepts, thinking about how we relate to the earth and to climate change and topics that are very much embedded in Indigenous ways of being. And we have so much to learn. And I'm really appreciative of you sharing your Maui lived experience, Maori lived experience, and the experience that uh, you're having in the new New uh, Zealand education system. It's been fascinating, Jojo, and uh, we hope to be able to continue this conversation going into next year. It's been an absolute pleasure to have time with you this morning too. I look forward to talking with you again soon. to Jojo for sharing her story and her people's story with us. We have so much to learn from Indigenous cultures. We also have a lot to learn from countries like New Zealand that have made important steps towards co-constructing with the Maori, an education system that honours the language, culture, and traditions of the Maori people. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may be interested in the podcast with another Indigenous education leader, Kevin Lamoureux. In this podcast, we review a book co-authored by Kevin called Ensouling Our Schools, a universally designed framework for mental health, well-being, and reconciliation. You can find it on the Knowledge Hook Signature Leadership Portal. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.